rest, she whispered. Mama's here. Mama will always be here. Everything will be all right now. The girl whimpered but did not waken. The woman closed the door soundlessly behind her. It only remained to carry the body up the hill to the grave. The tide was in, and though she couldn't see the ocean, she heard it, a roar in her ears. The stiffness had gone out of the corpse, and it felt strangely light, as if no longer weighted down by soul and emotion and heart and will. There was a sweet odor about it, which caused the woman's eyes to water, whether from the smell of it or with tears. She couldn't tell. Perhaps both. She cradled the body like you would a child and carried it slowly up the path. At the place between the trees, she stood for several moments and looked into the hole, considering. She laid the blanket-wrapped body on the ground and climbed into the grave. Then she awkwardly pulled the body in after her. She laid it out at the bottom straightened the limbs and folded the hands across the chest and covered the face with the blanket. Her movements were instinctive, her thoughts elsewhere. She was eight years old, and she and her father were burying a dead bird that had flown into the picture window. She had cried then, and her father put his hand on her head and said it was okay, all things in God's timing— but she remembered the blue of the feathers, the way the wings folded forward and around the bird, like a sparrow falling, a woman dead. She climbed out and began pushing shovelfuls of dirt onto the body, slowly at first, but then more quickly. By the time the gray light of morning was breaking over the sea, it was done. She knelt for a long time and smoothed the grave over with her hands, smoothing, smoothing her garden. She spread leaves and moss and scrub brush over the top of it, working, raking the clods of earth through her fingers, until only the most astute observer would notice the seam where the earth had been peeled back. Something should be said, she thought, some memorial, some service— she was openly crying now, sobbing as the magnitude of what she had done came to her. She flung herself across the top of the grave and wept. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A long while later she rose, wiped her eyes with her dirt-scorched hands, and walked down the path to her house, the sea a pool of molten lead in front of her. In the kitchen, she stripped off her filthy clothing and stood naked on the stone floor, the muddy jeans and flannel shirt in a heap at her feet. She took a rag and drenched it in the cauldron of water on the back of the wood stove. She sopped it over her shoulders, her back, her neck, her face. Her movements were careful, slow, and she wept while she did this. For a long time, she wept. She unclipped, finally, the pins that held up her hair and lined them on the edge of the sink. She ran her hair, long, thick, and mostly gray, through her fingers. Clots of dirt and bits of branches fell to the floor. With the remainder of the water, she washed her hair, 
getting rid of the last stink of death and dirt. When it was clean, she combed it, plaited it, and it hung in one long wet braid behind her back. This one act had sealed it for her. She realized that. She would cry no longer. This would be her life now. And from this day forward, she would mark her times and seasons by the rhythms of the tide and Audrey's rising and lying down. She would spend her days repairing the foundation of her house, poking in rocks and limbs to keep it from crumbling. She would climb to the top of the lighthouse and sit and look at the sea. She and Audrey would gather mussels and dig for clams at the edge of the water when the tide was low. They would fish in the pond behind the house. She would make bread from the flour, butter, and eggs that were delivered weekly from town.